Opening a business takes a lot of work, sweat, and most of all, courage. You have to put aside the fear of failure and show up every day ready to innovate your industry and motivate your staff. You can't settle or become complacent because one bad week could potentially sink your business. And nowhere is this more true than the restaurant business. The margins are razor thin, the overhead cost is high, flavor palettes are finicky and tempers flare. But no matter what, you have to deliver. And no one knows this better than Chef Andre Natera. Staying true to the spirit of Austin, Foreign and Domestic is a concept restaurant designed around partner farms. Has this inadvertently kept them isolated from some of the recent supply chain fallout? So when, when did you buy the restaurant? Uh, we bought Foreign and Domestic in 2017. Well, so it had already been established, right? It was. It had a legacy uh, here? Foreign and Domestic opened in 2010 under Ned and Jody Elliott. Um, they were a husband-wife couple. They came in hot with Ophel and all the weird things that I don't know that Austin was necessarily ready for. Um, we do feel like Austin's ready for it now. But in 2010, it was a much different culinary scene. Um, even so, they got lots of attention. They were super busy, super packed. Um, all the big names came and did their shows here. and they, they had a lot of success here. But I think after seven years, it was just time to do something else. And did you continue on kind of with the same legacy that they left behind or did you, did you, what did you do to change it and make it your own? Um, we wanted to keep the same core values and the same foundation because one of the reasons we wanted the restaurant was because we love it so much. Um, again, we weren't looking for a restaurant at the time the opportunity came up, we jumped on it. Um, and we weren't even sure until about a month after we bought the restaurant that it was all going to go through <laughs> legally. So it's been really interesting finding a balance between what we do and what Ned and Jody set the foundation for the restaurant with. So I remember we worked together <laughs> and a story that sticks in my mind when we worked together. And to me, this was like really telling <laughs> of, of who you are and your passion oh, for food is that one of the cooks in the morning had uh, left some chicken in the sink overnight and it had it had to be discarded the next day and you were so upset with them um, i was really upset about that <laughs> because you said that's a life um that that you wasted uh due to carelessness and i yes. i remember it was it was really impactful for me um uh, just because it kind of reframed my perspective on on how to view food um, but more importantly, to me, it told a lot about who you are <laughs> and what your passion is, especially when it comes to cooking sustainably um, and really respecting the ingredients. So with that being said, how did you translate that here to foreign and domestic? Um, we use every single bit of every animal because like that whole story tells, um, it's really important to us to be respectful of the life that we're taking yeah. when we're cooking, even if it's just a chicken, you know, um, I raise chickens. I know you do. So, um, <laughs> having, do you have? <laughs> I have, uh, well, it was 70. I've got 20 babies right now. Okay. So we're nearing the hundred mark. Um, Jeez. yeah, it's, it's a, full -time job. a little bit out so, of control. So two restaurants and a hundred chickens <laughs> and seven goats and a rabbit and a goose and three dogs and two cats and a daughter and an eight year old. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I'd so like to say that she much. helps with the animals but she doesn't um she's not really into the animals so much right now but um having butchered a chicken 
many chickens actually um, that I raised, you learn how important it is and, and what it is to take that life away. And so for us, it's really important to use every part of it. That and we love offal. Um, it started out as kind of a challenge learning how to cook with things like heart and livers and things that people don't eat for a reason. Um, and now it's it's kind of who we are. <laughs> so how has the relationships been with the different farms that you work with right now that we're kind of, you know, uh, going through this uh, pandemic? All of the small farms that we work with are seemingly doing better than I think some of the big national people um, yeah. because they're able to slow their operations. Um, the farmers that we get our pigs from for for charcuterie, uh, Chubby Dog Farm, they're just feeding them out and they're going to be a little bigger pig. Um, they're not having to slaughter because they don't have room. They're just slowing their operations down. Um, some of the bigger places are unable to do that. Everything's already in motion and they're having to just cull animals, which really, really upsets me because <laughs> it goes into taking a life. They're taking a life and they're just putting it in the dump right now. It's interesting that you bring up that the, the bigger chains are probably struggling more than the small farms. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure if people really realize that, but uh, it seems like the smaller farms are able to pivot quicker. Absolutely. So, so when you look at your business, you know, kind of being a smaller restaurant, were you able to pivot quickly once, once all of this started happening? We actually pivoted within hours. Um, it took one trip to, to the store to get to go containers because we don't generally keep that many on hand. Um, and we were already online with our um, pies and baked goods. So we just expanded the menu and and went from there. Um, the first night we did about $4,000 in sales and to-go orders, which was a nightmare because, um, I mean, it was great. It was awesome and we were so blessed, but taking your line cooks that are used to meticulously plating and telling them, no, get the plates off the line, get this off the line, get your, your mise en place smaller. You know, you're gonna have to put out 20 boxes at once. Um, it was a operationally an interesting, dynamic that first couple of nights, um, probably the worst services of my entire life, but um, overall worked out good. But like you said, if we were bigger, if I had a staff of more than four, it might've been a little different. And if we didn't have the nice drive through up front, if we were on, you know, downtown where it's hard to get to the restaurant and pick things up or, you know, it might've been a little bit different. And what adjustments are you making to the business now? Um, now we're doing both. Um, so previously, like a lot of restaurants, we kind of erred on the side of not doing to-go because our food is all made all a minute. Our French fries are done in-house. They don't hold very well in a box. Um, things don't plate as nicely. You don't get the value from, you know, sitting down and being served and having the wine. And um, so... We're, we're doing both now, um, which gets a little stressful sometimes because there's no limit on how many to-go orders can come in. Um, with a restaurant, you're limited by how many tables can be seated. And you've got that hour and a half that somebody's in those tables to kind of balance things out. But now we might get 20 to-go orders while we have a full dining room. And so the staff has been awesome about pivoting and learning and, and figuring out and rolling with the punches. Um, it's definitely been a stressful couple of months. <laughs> I had heard an interview uh, with, uh, you know, a really famous uh, three Michelin star restaurant owner. 
Uh-huh. And he said that he made more money doing takeout than he ever did uh, you know, with, with his previous business model. It makes complete sense um, from a volume standard because you're not limited by that hour. Your guest is there for five minutes. They're not there for an hour and a half. You're not getting them wine. You're not changing out their silverware. Um, they're not looking at their cell phones and sitting at the table and, and another table's not coming in because they're here. So and you, you see can, big efficiencies like in the labor because if you're making the same thing or if you have the reduced uh, condensed menu or you don't have as many dishes to wash, you don't have you don't have to pay service staff because they're, yeah. you're, you're on limited team. So it does seem like uh, this, this pandemic kind of opened up a lot of people's eyes on what the possibilities of a restaurant can be. It did. Um, for us, we that was how we survived was we had no dishwasher. The staff did their own dishes. We had no servers. We cut off the AC in the dining room. Um, we had the trash service reduced all the, all the little things that you don't necessarily think about when you're a diner, um, the costs that go into it. And that's why we were hesitant when they reopened dining rooms at 25% because at 25%, we're going to bring back all of those costs. And it's not going to bring in that much more money than doing right. to go. Because Especially at that point, if you only get 25% of the revenue with 100% right. of the costs associated. Yeah. yeah. And um, and that's if people come out. At that point, it was still really, people were still really freaking out. So we, we didn't feel like that was a good time to do it. Yeah. So And during all this time, you decided you were going to open up another place. Yeah, um, because I'm crazy. Yeah. That was definitely a part of it. Um, everybody shut down and we expanded. We started lunch service because um, if we were going to be in the building, we wanted income coming in at all hours of the day. Um, and then we also had just signed a lease on a restaurant right before things got really bad, right before the shutdown. And so we ended up every hour that we were not here, we were there trying to get the building ready. Um, trying to make plans, trying to get the menu ready, set up purveyors, um, which is all really, really interesting when everything shut down. Getting permits, um, getting inspections was the easiest process of my life because we were the only ones looking for inspections. <laughs> um, but it, it was definitely, I might have an ulcer now because, you know, and then we're like, can we open? Can we not open? Do we staff? Do we not staff? Um, it, it was all really a big juggle um, and we are open now. It's not smooth, but we are open. What, tell us about the place. Um, it's a cafe, so it's very different from here. Um, it's counter service, which is really, really weird. Um, I'm struggling when I'm in the restaurant to not go change out silverware for people because it's become such a habit. Um, but it's just, it's in downtown Lockhart. It's across from the courthouse. So we've got these big windows on the front of the, the restaurant with tables in them, and you've got this beautiful courthouse across from it. Um, right now we're just doing lunch, or sorry, we're right now we're just doing dinner service. We will be expanding to lunch and breakfast in the next probably month and a half. Restaurants, uh, honestly, are probably one of the most difficult businesses to, to, to be an entrepreneur in. Um, you know, usually your margins are pretty slim. Um, the work is hard, long hours. Um, you live and die sometimes every day by your sales. Um, so you, you, you have to be all in. You have to be uh, 100% committed and really passionate about it because you can't, you, this isn't a hobby for a lot of people. Um, and I know you 
are you know you are 100% committed. I, I think that goes without saying. Um, you know, I've known you for a while, and like you said, 100 chickens, goats, two restaurants, staying busy. How, how do you how do you balance it all? Um, there's not a lot of balance going on right now. It feels like we need to pull up our pants and just go in as hard as we can, or we might end up out of business. Um, so as of right now, I haven't had a, a day off since March 17th. So we're approaching th- three months, <laughs> um, which has been mostly hard on my daughter. She's definitely not real happy with the restaurant life right now. Um, and for us, finding myself making a lot of mistakes that I've never made in my life, but I think it, it's attributed to exhaustion and stress. <laughs> um, but it's at the same time, we're happy. We're so excited to be open. And, and I think as a chef, you're always looking for the next challenge. So while this is not necessarily the challenge that I ever thought I'd be looking for, it's still a challenge and it's still exciting to, to overcome it. <laughs> Well, and you're, you're, you're more than a chef now, right? You're, you're a restaurant owner. Restaurant you're, you're an owner, um, which is still a title that I, I doesn't in my head. It, it's, I don't know if it's one of those things that you ever really fully feel comfortable with. I don't know. I still feel like I'm just a cook. <laughs> um, but yeah, restaurant owner just means more stress, I think. That's all it is. So if someone was going to open up a restaurant right now, what kind of advice would you give them from something that you've learned? Um, be flexible. Be flexible? Real flexible. Have a plan. Um, when we were figuring out our menu for the new place and figuring out our staffing, um, we did our payroll in a way that if we do get shut down again, it's going to be the most beneficial for them um, with unemployment. We built in some buffers we made sure that the menu was easily translatable to, to go. Um, and we've already set up our online ordering and our delivery for that restaurant just in preparation for what, what more than likely is going to come. Um, but it's just important to, to plan and plan for the worst because the worst seems to happen lately and um, be ready for it and just educating the staff. So as we're bringing people in, we're already talking about the exit plan <laughs> um, and how things are going to work because I think staff's looking for that right now. They're looking for assurance that they're not going to get left out in the rain. Um, and that's really important. It's important to us too because staff is what makes your restaurant what it is. So. so are you working with any organizations right now to help? Um, I was already heavily involved with Good Work Austin before COVID hit. Um, we pivoted there as well. So we've always rallied for workers' rights, fair pay, um, health insurance, those sorts of things that our industry tends to not have access to. Um, When this happened, obviously those are still really important, but we pivoted into taking care of and figuring out a plan for the restaurants that are taking care of those employees. Um, So what we've done is partnered up with the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and we've had Zoom meetings every Monday with like 45 of us. It gets a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, And we've just developed plans for reopening safely and for making the guests feel comfortable um, coming into the dining room. So that involves things like um, keeping track of everybody that comes in the building, which is um, part of the government plan as well. 
but hand sanitizing stations, taking temperatures of the staff, um, all of those things that you're seeing a lot of places start to do. But Good Work Austin is really, really pushing to not only reopen, but reopen in a better way for guests and for staff um, to keep everybody safe. That looks really beautiful. What are you making? Thank you. It's a uh, squash blossom risotto. So it's got some turmeric, some saffron, um, a lot of butter. <laughs> and then we do these beautiful hospar um, squash blossoms over the top. And then I like to cook with all the parts of whether it's the plant or the animal. And I like to integrate them in a way that they work together on the same dish. So we've also got, um, this is zucchini that the squash blossoms came from. I don't know that it was necessarily the same plant, but I'd like to see, think that they were on the same plot. It's hard to get the farmer to give you the blossoms off of the same plant you get the fruit from. They're not really interested in all of that. <laughs> and then um, also from Hospar, we have this awesome bronze fennel that is not only beautiful, but it's incredibly fragrant. And fennel this time of year is amazing. And then lots of butter and cheese. It is. Pecorino um, has taken the place of Parmesan in my heart, probably because it's a little bit funkier and so am I, I guess. <laughs> so running two restaurants, being a mother, having lots of children being goats and chickens. Yeah, uh, lots of things I take care of every day. <laughs> what's one of the biggest challenges you face being a female chef? Being a female chef has always been a part of who I am as a chef because coming in as a female chef, you're already under scrutiny. Um, I happen to come in as a 17-year-old female in 2007, which at that time there wasn't a lot of rallying for females in the kitchen. Um, there wasn't much management going on in the kitchen I happened to be in. Um, so it was a little bit like a war every day. And I took the route of being more angry, more lewd, more of a guy than any of the guys in the kitchen, which I wouldn't suggest at this point, but that's how I got through that. Um, so coming in as an owner, I'm seeing not only the movement to not just make it okay to be a female chef, but people are really rallying around female chefs. Um, and so for me, it's really an exciting time to be a female chef, but then there's also the flip side of it where you start doubting yourself because you're you start asking yourself if you've been invited to things just because you're a female. So it's almost like we've gone from one end to the other. Um, and you're not looking for something for nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah. I would like to think that I have, I have worked my butt off for close to 15 years now um, to get where I'm going. And I, I don't like having to question myself whether or not I'm being invited to things just because I'm a female. Um, which may not always be the case, but sometimes people phrase it that way. Um, I know uh, one particular event I had been wanting to be a part of for years and years and years and finally got an invitation um, and it was a very last minute invitation. And 
somebody mentioned that the other female chef had dropped out and they had to find a female. And so it kind of took the, the gloss away from and the excitement away from being a part of something. And, and I'm not ungrateful to have still been invited, but I, it does take, a, it stings a little bit. Because um, I'd like to think it's because of my food. <laughs> I think you're fantastic. Thank job. you. <laughs> Can't wait to try this. Before I leave, what's the biggest lesson you've learned through all of this? Be humble. Um, that you're, you're not as good as you think you are, and there's always stuff to learn. Um, that's definitely been the biggest lesson. And before we leave, where should we go next? Oh, man. Um, I would say my favorite two restaurants in Austin right now are Locadoro. Um, it's right around the corner, so we eat there far too often and cannot wait till the dining rooms open again. And we also love Vixen's Wedding right now. It's going food, and it's, I mean, I've never eaten going food before, so as far as I know, it's really, really good. Chef Andre Natera will be back as he invites the CEO of Food Related, Luciano Chiachari, into his kitchen to design the perfect charcuterie board and learn how Luciano revitalized his family company to ensure its growth for future generations. Next time, only on Run the Pass.